Well, it is New Year's, and that is uh, oftentimes, rightfully said, to be a good time for a fresh start. There's something about the change of the calendar that inspires fresh resolve, new resolve, resolutions. I don't doubt that no few of you have uh, great aspirations, aspirations, say, regarding your, uh, your diet, your exercise, maybe your finances, maybe Bible study, maybe your prayer life, a whole list of possibilities that could go on and on and, and on. I, I would say, and I think you would agree with this, that for all of our great aspirations, we would also have to say, and couple with that, we have many frustrations. Because as we think back to, to years gone by and January's gone by, and we, we think about those that last set of resolutions, and that last time we took a a crack at maybe even the same thing that we have in in mind for this year. Uh, it was it was daunting. It was disappointing. It was frustrating. It might even leave you with a bad taste of disillusionment in your mouth. What does the Bible have to say about this? What does the Bible have to say about this? About this desire for change, the means of change, the possibility of change, our frustrations regarding all of that, the way forward. We'll look at that together here for a little bit this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, I ask you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Now, if you're trying to find that, here's a shortcut. Go all the way to the end, to Revelation, and then just head a few books to the left. Okay? Uh, Revelation, and then you head to the left, and that's going to be Jude and uh, 1 John, excuse me, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. Yeah, it's hard to do this in reverse. So, uh, 1 John... Chapter 5. Now, I'll tell you, I'm not planning on really delving into all that I'm about to read except for this last verse. This last verse, which is so pregnant with significance on, on this point. Okay? So, 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13 and reading on down to verse 21. 1 John chapter 5, 13 through 21. Hear now God's word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that indeed you would help us to, to hear not just these audible words, um, not just these printed words upon the page, 
but in a deeper sense to hear you, you speaking by your Spirit through your Word to our hearts this morning. Uh, we are asking for that. We need that more than we know. Every single one of us here in this room, wherever wherever we are in our relationship with you, uh, we, we need uh, you to be moving in our lives, moving in such a way that we would come to a a deeper understanding of this text and this topic we're going to be delving into for a little bit. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to say this from the outset in talking about New Year's resolutions. I want to be crystal clear on this point. There is nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions. I want you to hear that just, just clear out, okay? Let's be, be uh, assured of that. In fact, they can be good. New Year's resolutions can be a very, very good thing. For starters, we are, are made to strive, to, to push forward. We are, are made as, as to have goals and move towards trying to accomplish something of those goals. And I would also add this, that to have a New Year's resolution, or maybe it's a July 4th resolution, or whatever it is that you resolve to make this change, that manifests something of a, of a humility in your spirit. Because you're recognizing that there's something in your life that needs to change. And that's a good thing. That can be a very, very positive thing. Just to simply have that kind of humility. That said, resolutions can be good. On the other hand, they can go bad. Our resolutions can go very bad. Because, for, for instance, for all of that humility, for all that humility expressed and, and, and shown in, in a desire to change, there can be a lot of pride mixed in, polluting that humility. For instance, in our assertion and our thinking that we're going to, by our great resolve, accomplish our resolutions. Hmm. And by the way, that kind of points towards something else. Our resolutions. There can be a lot of self mixed in with the things that we resolve to do over the course of this year. It's about me. It's about what I need. It's about what the changes that need to come in my life. So, on the one hand, you hear me saying two things. On the one hand, these, cha these, these resolutions, this resolve can be very, very good. But on the other hand, they can go very, very bad depending on you know, what direction you're going. Which, by the way, begs the question, why do they go so bad? What is it that causes them to, to go to rot uh, at, from time to time? Well, I, I would venture to say this, and it comes out in our text. We'll be getting to that in just a second. It has to do with a superficiality, a, a superficial understanding that we oftentimes carry around with our, us in our minds regarding our behavior, on, on why we do the things that we do. We have this superficial understanding of what's driving us, of what's going on down deep within us. And so what it means is this, when it comes to our resolutions, when it comes to our resolve, when it comes to trying to change, here's what we do. We put band-aids on sucking chest wounds. We put antiseptic on fatal cancers. We take scissors and think trimming a deeply rooted weed is going to be enough. And it's never enough. And because of that dynamic, that superficiality to our understanding of, 
of our behavior and what's going on and why, it's, it, why we're acting and living as we are. Because of that, real change rarely, if ever, comes. See, the reality is our need runs deep. Our need runs really deep. And because our need runs so deep, we've got to be looking to the Lord continuously for substantive change. Our need is so deep, we've got to be looking to Him for substantive change. Now, to get at that, I want to look at that from three different points, three different uh, things that need to be said on this. And the first is to consider the problem of the heart. This is in your outline. The problem of the heart, the reality of idols, and then thirdly, the path for change. So the reality of the, of, of the heart, uh, the problem of the heart, the reality of idols, and the path for change. Well, let's look at these in turn. I'm going to start actually by not going to 1 John. I want to first take you to Matthew chapter 15. So that's a lot easier actually to find, I guess, than, than 1 John. Uh, that's the first book in the New Testament. It's the first of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 15, uh, picking up in verse 16. So Matthew 15, 16. Um, this is in the midst of a, of a larger conversation, a larger discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples, and I, I can't get into all that right now. But I just want you to hear what Jesus is saying because it speaks to what we're talking about here in how we change, how change is possible for us, and those are some fundamental things we've got to understand in order to get at that. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 16, and he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, and this is talking about clean and unclean foods and all of that sort of thing, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. See, this what Jesus is saying here gets at the problem of the heart. It, gets, it helps us towards understanding the source of the problem. The heart. Now, what does Jesus was speak in terms of? Let's get at some definitions here, just so we're very, very clear. What does Jesus mean when? He, and what does the Bible mean usually when it's speaking of the heart? It is not. He is not speaking. The Bible is not speaking of this muscle that's you know pumping there in your chest. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it's speaking of what the Puritans referred to it as the seat of your affections. It is the source of, the cause of, the overflow of all your desires, of all of your longings. It's the deepest part of you, the heart. And note what Jesus says here, that all that we think, say, or do is an overflow of that, of the heart. Put another way, our behavior, what we think, say, and do, is not ever disconnected from the heart. It's like this. Um, our behavior, what we think, say, and do, flows right out of the heart. It's an overflow of the heart. It reflects what's in the heart. I would even go so far as to say it exposes what's in the heart. Such as such the, the connectedness in, in that. So that's something, understanding the source of the problem. And as we understand the source of the problem, the heart that therein gets us towards, at least one step, um, being able to address the source of the problem. Simply in understanding that, this, that the problem is far deeper than we think. This is not a, a surfacey sort of issue. 
Uh, it, it's deeper than we think. It's, it's beyond our reach. This is not going to be something that you're going to tackle or solve with a strong will and a good list. Our behavior is tied to our hearts. Now, what does that mean? If you want to see your behavior change, your heart's going to have to be changed. Do you see? It's the only way deep, substantive change is going to take place in our lives. Our need is so, so very great. Greater than we know. It, it reminds me, I was thinking about this just a couple days ago. It hit me. Oh, I don't know what else to call this, but a post-holiday irony. Okay? What I mean by that is this. On December 25th, we gladly, loudly proclaim a Savior has come. Right? One week later, January 1st, we are all but saying, I must save myself. In our, res in our resolutions, you know, to fix ourselves. Oh my goodness, what? In a week's time, that's where we've gone and where we usually stay through the rest of the year. Our need is so deep, we must be looking to the Lord for substantive change. But then gets me to the second point, and that is not just the problem of the heart, but the reality of idols, and this takes us finally to 1 John 5.21. Read it again. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let me try and explain this concept of idolatry. Uh, and again, starting with a definition. What do we mean? What does the Bible mean when it speaks of Idolatry, I'll just try and boil it down to something simple. It is to worship and serve. It is to depend upon and trust in anything or anyone ahead of the living God himself. It is to, it is to have your heart led by or have your life such that you are living for any God but God. That is idolatry from a biblical perspective. Now this text, 1 John 5.21, is the key for understanding this, how this works. Now, it, it would be perfect. The reason I read the whole text before that was to help you see something. The first time you read that swath of, of, of that passage, or if you read the whole of 1 John, you would understandably come away with this impression. Huh? <laughs> Why, why is John saying that? Why is he slapping that there at the end of this letter? He hasn't said anything about idols, about false worship, about idolatry. He hasn't said anything about that in the entire letter. And boom, here it is right here at the very end. Is he just slapping this on at the end like he had a, a list of things he wanted to cover? He realized he'd run out of rooms like, oh, i got to squeeze that in. Is he, has he just randomly slapped it in there, or could it be, and I think this is much more likely, this is not he's something he's slapping on at the end. This is something that sums up everything he's been talking about. Everything in that text that we read just a little while ago, it sums up the entire letter, it sums up the entire New Testament, it sums up the entire Bible. The message of the Scriptures is this. Certainly part of it. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. A real and present danger. So, so 
beyond just explaining then this concept of idolatry, let me try and expand on it just, just here for a moment if I can. It, it is so far beyond what we typically think of when we hear that, hear that word, idols. We usually think of, of it being like it's, it's a physical object, like some little thing, worshipped by primitive peoples. That's not... That, that is so truncated. That is such a, a limited understanding of what idolatry is. And it is, no, it is so far beyond also, I would add, desiring bad things. We would all agree, you know, th- this would be a, a problem. We could see how maybe the heart and idols and all that play into, say, oh, I don't know, lust or vengeance or greed, right? But idolatry goes way beyond just our desire for bad things, it includes far more. We can make, here's the deal, we can make an idol out of anything. Even good things. In fact, I think it was uh, the great reformer John Calvin made the point, I'm going to paraphrase this, that, that idolatry is when it, we fall into that even when we want a good thing too much. An inordinate desire even for the good gifts of God. So another way of saying then that the way change has got to take place, the only way change is going to take place within our lives, is that our idols are going to have to be dismantled, and torn down. Torn down. How does this apply to resolutions? All right, let me give you a couple of examples real quickly. All right, let's say you want to lose weight. Okay? So you decide that you're going to eat better, you're going to eat less and eat better, you're going to exercise, and all that's Fine. But why is it that we're overeating in the first place? What's going on there? At the heart level, at the visceral level, it is most often because we're lonely. Because there's a sadness down deep in the soul. There's maybe even bored. Maybe a, a fatigue with life. Maybe just as an escape. But see, that's a heart issue tied ultimately to an idol that's got to be dealt with if, in fact, you're going to even touch that resolution. Let me give you another one. Let's say uh, a a, a father decides he wants to become um, a family man. I mean, truly. He's going to spend time at home more this year than he did last year. Spend more time with his wife, with his children. That's a good thing. So that, that's, that's a good thing. But you've got to ask yourself, that man needs to ask himself, what was it? What has it been that's been driving him so hard up to this point such that work has dominated his life? Is it because of an inordinate desire for reputation or someone, other, someone else's approval or financial material security And by the way, there's nothing wrong with those things so long as they don't govern and dominate your life. You see, those are heart issues. Those can become idols, and they have to be addressed if you're ever going to touch that resolution. See, our need is deep, and the only way those needs are going to be addressed is for us to be continually going to the Lord, looking to Him for substantive Change. But then it takes me to the last point, the path for change. How do we change? How do we dismantle these idols? How do we tear them down? Idolatry in many respects is like a disease, a disease of the soul. And as is the case with any disease, it has its symptoms. 
So what we have to do is to begin to look at the symptoms. And the best way to do that is to begin to ask yourself some questions, to interrogate your heart. Here in your quotes and notes, the third one, the third extended section there, uh, there's a quote here from Ken Sandy's wonderful book, The Peacemaker. Now, I'm just going to pick up there and, and the, in this quote and, and then read to you what, what he's got to say on this point. How can you discern when a good desire might be turning into a sinful demand? You can begin by prayerfully asking yourself x-ray questions that reveal the true condition of your heart. And here they are. What am I preoccupied with? What is the first thing on my mind in the morning and the last thing on my mind at night? How would I complete this statement? If only blank, then I would be happy, fulfilled, and secure. What do I want to preserve or avoid? Where do I put my trust? What do I fear? When a certain desire is not met, do I feel frustration, anxiety, resentment, bitterness, anger, or depression? Is there something I desire so much that I am willing to disappoint or hurt others in order to have it? Those kinds of questions, that, those are very helpful ways to interrogate our hearts and to begin to identify the symptoms of the disease of our souls, this idolatry, and begin to get there. And once we, once we begin to do that, then we need to connect the dots to own the answers to those questions, to begin to wrestle and grapple with and admit and acknowledge where our trust, where our hope, where our joy where our faith, where our hearts have been. To own that, acknowledge that, and confess it. Which takes me to the next step. Because it's not enough just to see the symptoms. It's not enough just to look at those. We've got to look to the Savior. The one who can save us from this soul sickness. To see Him as sufficient to see Jesus as He has revealed Himself to us through His Spirit in His Word, as he, as he really, really is. And the more we're there, seeing who He is, what we'll come to understand and see is that He is ultimately what we've been looking for and chasing after and longing for and desiring in all those idols. All the comfort, all the security, all the influence, all the, all the, all the affirmation, all the approval, all of it, and more, that you thought you could find in those dead gods, those dead idols that are killing you, you find in Him. That's what your heart, He is who your heart has been looking for. To see that, to look to the Savior, to bow before Him and to trust Him, to turn to Him, to, to see Him as sufficient and to seek out His help Moment by moment, day by day. Idols don't die easily. They die slow, ugly, painful deaths. So we've got to be looking, seeing Jesus is sufficient, looking to Him and His help continuously, every day, all through the day. And I mean, very practically, by spending time with Him in His Word and in prayer. Relying on His indwelling Spirit and treasuring and taking advantage of time with His people. That's the path for change. That's how it comes. It's deeply rooted within us and so it takes that kind of deep surgery to address it.
Let me give you another example of how this plays itself out just in, in very ordinary life that I know I can speak to and I, I'm going to wager 95% of you in this room can as well. Okay, this is the end of a long day. What do you want? All you want, you, you, you just, by the end of the, of the whole mess, you, you find yourself saying, all I wanted was peace and quiet. So on your way home, it's been a long day, all you want is mm, some peace and quiet. You walk in the door. It ain't peaceful and it ain't quiet. You have people making demands of you. You have people who are complaining to you. You have people who have, maybe rightfully have a beef with you. And so you explode. You vent your fury, if not allowed internally. What do you need to do? Examine the symptoms. Ask the questions. And then look to the Savior. Think with me. In our desperate seeking of the peace and quiet, what was it we were really after? What was it that we were really after? Rest? Metaphorically, shelter? Restoration? Who is the ultimate provider of that? Your easy chair? Jesus. Jesus is the source of your heart's longing. Go to Him for that. Go to Him for that. Our need is so profoundly deep. Oh, how we need to be looking to Him for the substantive change. Let me wrap this up. Okay. One of my favorite films from 2015 was Pixar's Inside Out. I've had conversations with a few of you just even in the last couple of days. Disney Pixar's Inside Out. Uh, great Wonderful story of, of this 11-year-old girl, Riley Anderson, and the emotional turmoil that she's going through because of the changes in her life, because her family has, has moved, and now she's having to get adjusted to a new city and enrolling in a new school, and she's coming apart, and it's coming out from the inside. And Pixar does a fantastic job of, of portraying these five basic emotions um, wrestling for control within her. Uh, joy and sadness and disgust and fear and anger. And it's funny. It'll make you laugh. If you let it, it may make you think. And I really would recommend this film to all of you. I mean, every single person in this room, whatever your age is, I really would highly encourage you to sit down and, and watch this film and find some people to talk about it afterwards because it is a fantastic vehicle to sit and down and think and explore how our emotions drive our behavior and therein can affect our, the relationships that we have with those around us. That's one thing. Here's another thing. It's a great reminder that so often there's so much more going on than we can see beneath the surface, both in ourselves and in the people around us. And if those deep waters are going to be addressed, it's going to take a deep solution. And jumping back to 1 John 5, a Savior, who, as we said on December 25th, is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this is, of course,
a, a new beginning, a new year. Um, understandably, uh, we have our resolutions. We want to make changes. And a lot of that can be really good. There's so much that can be right with that kind of pursuit. But as we've already said, and as we all know too well, so much of that can go so wrong, go so sour. Uh, we ask that you would protect us from a super, superficial understanding of our hearts that takes no account of the reality of idols and how they take us over. We ask that you'd make us wise. We ask that you'd give us insight both into each other but into ourselves as well to consider the symptoms, to remember these kind of questions when the moment comes, to consider the symptoms and cling to you, to look to you as our Savior, for that's who and what you are. Um, thank you. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for your love for us, such that you would speak to us as you do through your word. And, and we thank you for this time that we have to gather at your table here. In Jesus' name, your name we pray. Amen.